Esther chapter 7 this morning. And as we look at this chapter, this is kind of almost the climax of the book in this chapter. It's an exciting chapter. And for those of you who haven't been here for all of them or even you know, most of the messages, I'm going to give you a little bit of a recap so we can just keep building our way through this. But uh, Haman here was the uh, man who hated the Jews and particularly hated Mordecai, an older man who had been uh, an adopted father of Esther and had raised her up. And Esther now became the queen of Persia. And Haman was uh, ruffled in our last chapter because the king had told him that he needed to take Mordecai throughout the city, riding on the king's horse, wearing the king's clothes, wearing the king's crown, and tell everybody in the whole city that God, or not God, that, uh, that the king wanted to honor Mordecai. And Haman hated that. It was torture to him. And he just barely got home and was complaining and mourning to his family. And the chamberlain comes and says, come on, Haman, it's time to go. We've got to have that banquet with the queen. And so he's headed off to the banquet with the queen. Now, this is the second banquet with the queen. She had provided one banquet for them. Now they're in their second banquet. And in the second banquet, the king is expecting her now to share with him her request. And so as we get to this place, the king asks Esther, what is your request, Queen Esther? You've asked me to come to this banquet, and I know you had a request. That's why you made the banquet and all this. So tell me your request. And I want to read her request from the scripture here in chapter 7. Look at verses 3 and 4. Then Queen Esther answered and, uh, and said, If I have found favor in thy sight, O king, and if, the, if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. For, I, uh, for we are sold, I and my people, to be destroyed and slain and to perish. But if we have been sold for bondmen or bondwomen, I had held my tongue, although the enemy could not countervail the king's damage. Right. So as we look at this, what's she saying? She says, someone's out to get me, and someone's out to get my people. And if it, if it would have been that we just were sold as slaves, I would have kept quiet. Because, But even then, the king would have been damaged by this. This is not going to help your kingdom at all to put away my people like this. And the king, he responds in anger. And he says, who, who would, is this? And who is he? Where is he? That would durst to presume upon you like this and to do such a thing. And Esther boldly now, perhaps pointing the finger at Haman, and said, it's this wicked Haman. It's this wicked Haman. <laughs> that, 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 you can just imagine in your mind, oh, Haman sitting there squirming now. I mean, he's, the heat's on. He's in big trouble now. The queen has identified him as the one who was trying to kill her. And the king is enraged. And he jumps up from the from where they're eating, and he goes into the garden, uh, palace garden there, and, you know, who knows why, perhaps to just think and wonder, what can I do? What's the right thing to do? How do I handle this situation? What do I do about this? Anyway, he's in the palace garden, and in the meantime, Haman, in desperate desire to save his life, 
he comes over to Esther and pleads for his life. Now, we've got to picture things in the Persian culture instead of ours because it'll mix us up if we don't. When they were having their banquet, it was customary for them to have low, very short-legged couches that they would recline on. I mean, when we eat and things like that, we always sit at a table. That's the normal thing for us to do, but not for them. So they were reclining on these couches, uh, and they'd have them arranged in kind of a circle around, you know, whatever, maybe the main meal and stuff was in the middle, and they'd have the couches around the sides, and the servants would kind of help them out, things of that nature. And so Queen Esther's lying or reclining on her couch. And in the scriptures, it's called her bed, but that's what it is. It's not her bed sleeping bed. It's this couch that she was reclining on. And Haman comes over and he falls down at the edge of the bed, pleading with her for mercy. And the king comes back in about this time and he sees Haman over there right in front of the queen, leaning over her couch. And he's assuming either he's, she's trying to harm, or he's trying to harm her or molest her in some way. And the king <clears throat> blows a stack. And when he does, the servants are prepared. They see things are coming. You know, you can just watch in the minds of these servants. They're all, they're, their minds are all ticking and thinking, oh, what's going to happen now? Because they're hearing all this, and they know what's going on. And the servants, as soon as that happened, and king blows his top, then one of the servants quickly grabs a bag and puts it over Haman's head to hide his face from the king. A customary thing for them to do when the king had just cursed somebody to death, and they pronounced their death sentence, and this guy was big trouble now. He was going to be killed. And so the king's, he's covered his head, and then one of the chamberlains, Harboni, this guy, he, he obviously had some inclinations of what's going on. And he says, oh king, you know, Haman has this gallows 50 cubits high, that he is prepared to hang Mordecai, the man that you just honored for being such a good man. Haman was going to kill him on that gallows. And it's over at his house. That might do. And the king says, that's a good idea. Hang him on it. And so they take Haman, hang him on his own gallows, way up there in the air, like he wanted to do to Mordecai. And the king's pacified. The anger is calmed. The thing's subtle. But what a story. And as you look at this story, and here is what I, where I want to challenge you. When you look at a story like this, you need to ask yourself, what can I learn from that? I mean, God put it in there for a reason. It wasn't just to entertain us. It was pretty entertaining, but it wasn't just to entertain us. God had a reason for that. And as I looked over all this and I thought over it and as I pondered and prayed over it, I began to see a connection here. Esther was going to do the very thing that she was terrified to do. Why was she terrified? Because if it went wrong, her life was at stake. Now remember what the king did to his last wife that didn't please him. Put her out of the position and she lost everything. She became a nobody. Could have lost her life, but she didn't. And Esther thought, you know, the very same thing could happen to me if this goes wrong. I've got to be very careful. And so what did Esther request? Before she went in to see the king, to even invite him to the banquet, she requested that Mordecai, her uncle, or her cousin, that raised her, Mordecai and 
the Jews in Shushan and all of her maidens that were on her side were going to fast and we assume pray for three days before she would go in to see the king. They fasted and prayed. She went in to see the king. He accepted the invitation. She asked him to come to the second banquet. He accepted the invitation. And now the crucial moment. She's going to have to spill the beans, tell him the whole story, ask him to deal with the situation. And it could go all wrong. It was a fearful thing. But God answered prayer. And I want us to see that in this, that if God answered prayer for Esther, for her maidens, for Mordecai, and for all the Jews of Shushan, God can answer prayer for you and me. And we have lots of things to pray about. We've just prayed about some of our prayer requests this morning. And God is able to answer our prayers. But sometimes we, we think, uh, I don't know about that. We need to have faith in God and trust God to answer our prayers. But there's some things we need to look at. So let me join with me as we look at this passage from that perspective and just ask God to teach us a few things here that can be of help to us. All right. Notice, first of all, that um, Esther received courage and favor of the king. This was an answer to prayer. She had been praying that I would have courage to speak to the king and that the king would be favorable toward me. That was a very specific request. And though she was the queen, Esther did not have a loving relationship with the king. Sadly, marriage in those days was more of a diplomatic thing or a contract than it was a happy union. And she, remember, she said this is one of the reasons she was fearful. She said, I haven't even seen the king in 30 days. Well, that's a pretty long time not to call for your wife. Right? So they didn't have a real good relationship there. And this was a concern to Esther. And we find that she needed the king's mercy and she needed God's mercy. And she prepped her words. Did you see what she did? She prepped her words, if I have found favor in thy sight. And if it pleased the king. Both of these things were requests that showed that she was, she was a bit timid. She was a bit fearful. She knew that this could go wrong. The king did not yet know that Esther was a Jew. How was he going to respond to that? Was he going to say, well, if the Jews are causing trouble, we need to get rid of all the Jews, and I guess that includes you. Could have. But they were praying about that. Haman was the king's favorite prince. What if Haman would have turned on her and said, I'm sorry, king, that's not true. She's telling a lie. That's not true. And, and maybe the king would side with Haman. She'd be in big trouble. So there's things like this that we're going to remind. And there was all these prayers made. God gave her courage and God gave her the king's favor. And that is a blessing. With God's help, she courageously overcame her fear and presented her request to the king. And God gave grace. And the king did favor her and sought to defend her. We see this in verse number 5. And the king Ahasuerus answered and said unto Esther the queen, Who is he and where is he that durst presume in his heart to do so? So the king 
sided with her. He could have turned against, but he didn't. He sided with her instead of against her. So that was a huge blessing and an answer to prayer. So all these things in Esther's life here, these are answers to prayer. Now, notice again, Ahasuerus, the king, had compassion and discernment. This kind of ties into what we just looked at here, but just consider this with me. You know, I mentioned before, that he had removed Vashti from being queen. His previous wife, he just said, all right, you're not going to be queen anymore because you wouldn't do what I asked you to do. He could have done the same thing to Esther. Esther could have lost her position or her life. And in those days, I mean, I'm so thankful we don't live in those days. How would you like to be a servant in the king's palace? Some people say, oh, that'd be pretty neat. No, that wouldn't be very neat. Because if you do anything to upset the king, all he's got to do is say, off with your head. I don't like you anymore. I mean, you're, you're walking on eggshells the whole time. Anything, you know, everything the king, if the king's got a bad day, boy, you better stay out of his way. Because you never know when you could lose your life. It was a dangerous thing. And God yet caused the king to favor Esther. He caused the king to favor her. And as we examine the character and personality of this King Ahasuerus, what was he like? Well, you, you just evaluate some of the things we've learned about him already here. He was a man of very hot temper. He was changeable, unpredictable, proud, and he lacked discernment. I mean, he, remember he chose Haman of all people to be his head servant or his chief uh, uh, prince. And Haman was a scoundrel. He was a troublemaker. He was, he was not a good guy. And yet, that was the king's favorite choice. And so, all these things show that the king didn't have the greatest character. And yet, God intervened here, and his reaction toward Esther indicates that God was at work in his heart. He showed favor toward the king, Esther. And he treated her as if she was precious, which... He hadn't been doing that very much. And then when he went into the garden, we assume to think about what he was going to do to respond to this thing. God used that time to get him to think level-headedly. And ultimately, he sided against his highest prince and in favor of his wife, Queen Esther. You know, all of these reactions are answers to prayer. They had been praying. God, would you deal with this situation? And God did. God met the need. Thirdly, we see specific answers regarding Haman. Haman received justice and execution. No doubt he begged for mercy, but he got justice. You know, in our, our situations, when we deal with God... We need to ask God for mercy, not justice. We don't want God's justice. If we got what was just, we'd be all big trouble. We need God's mercy. And it's a blessing that God is a God of mercy. And he's ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all of them to call upon him. That is a wonderful truth about our God. But Haman, Haman desired for mercy but he didn't get it. 
We do not know what Esther and the Jews had been praying for regarding Haman, but very likely they've been praying that God would remove his influence from the situation. They didn't know how. You know, there may be times in our lives when there's a problem, there's an issue, there's a trouble, and we don't know how God's going to deal with it. But we can pray, God, would you just do your will, fulfill what you want, do what is right in this situation, cause justice to be done, cause the right thing to be taken care of here. And they had been praying. And Esther did not fearfully back down when Haman begged for his life. You know, you, you think about this. Now, Haman's the chief officer of the king. He is basically number two in the kingdom. And he's falling down in front of her and saying, please, have mercy. And she stays strong. She holds her ground. She doesn't bend. She stood strong, and God gave her courage in the midst of all this. And seeing Haman on the queen's couch, the king blows his top and commands his servants to put him to death. God intervenes. Now, when you think about this, Harbona, the servant that I mentioned earlier, he speaks up when he sees all this taking place. I see in verse number 9, And Harbona, one of the king's chamberlains, said unto the king, Behold, also the gallows, fifty cubits high, which Haman had made for Mordecai, who spoke good for the king, standeth in the house of Haman. And the king said, Hang him thereon. So Harbona speaks up. You know, we wonder, who is this Harbona guy? Well, he's one of the chamberlain. The chamberlain and the king's court were eunuchs. They were made eunuchs so that they wouldn't cause any problems in the king's court. But he was a servant. He was a slave, basically. Could have he been one of the Jewish slaves? Maybe. Very likely could possibly be. Maybe that's why he sided with Esther. Maybe that's why he didn't like Haman. But anyway, he speaks up and says, Hey, king, you know, take a look out your window. You see that thing sticking way up the air? That, that, there's a gallows that Haman put together to hang Mordecai on it. And king uses that to hang Haman. All of these things are working together. See, God's hand is in all of this. All of these things are answers to prayer. Now, God still answers prayer today. Sometimes God answers no. And when he does, sometimes we think, well, God didn't answer our prayer. Well, he did. He just didn't give you the answer you asked for. Sometimes God answers no. Sometimes God answers wait. Other times God says, yes, so I'll honor that. God does answer prayer. And we need to have faith in God and trust God. You know, in all prayer, God wants us to seek his will. And when we desire what he desires, he delights in giving us our requests. Now you think about that from a parental standpoint. If your child asks for something that you know is good for them, you're happy to give it to them as long as you got it and it's okay. And that's what you would be pleased with. But if they ask for something that is bad for them, 
You know, can I go play in the street? You know, the cars are buzzing by. Can I go play in the street, Mom? Please, I want to go play in the street. I haven't played in the street in a long time. I like to hear the car squeal and hit the brakes and swerve around me. Can I play? He's saying, absolutely not. You're not going to do that. That's not good for you. You know, sometimes when we come to God, we're asking God for those kind of things. We're asking God, God, can I go play in the street? God says, no, you're not going to play in the street. He said, well, it looks like it'd be fun. And, you know, we don't, you, you see my sarcasm there, but we understand sometimes our prayers aren't right. But if we know what God wants and we pray for what God wants, God's happy to give us what we need. And I think that's a real key to helping us understand prayer. We need to keep this in mind when you read various prayer promises. Let me give you one example. John chapter 16, verse number 23. Jesus said, And in that day ye shall ask, uh, ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Whatsoever ye ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now you take that verse and just look at it from its blank statement. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he's going to give it to you. What does that mean? And a lot of times people get very upset with God and say, I did that and God didn't answer my prayer. But we need to think about it in this context. There's qualifications to prayer. And we need to understand, how does God qualify prayer? What are some of the things that God says are requirements for prayer? We're going to look at a few of those in just a moment. But it needs to be God's will. God's not going to give us just everything we want. And sometimes we think, but I just I was asking for something good. You know, I was asking for God to heal my brother or whatever it was, and God didn't do that. That's not fair. God didn't answer my prayer. But we need to ask ourselves, was that God's will? Are we sure it was God's will? You know, if we are praying for something specifically that the Bible says that God wants us to have, we can pray with confidence. If we're praying about things that we're not sure, then we need to find out from God, is this what you really want? We find Jesus gave us a good example to follow. And as he was praying in the garden before his crucifixion, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 42, Jesus was praying and when he completed his prayer, he says, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but thine be done. Now stop and think about that. That is an amazing statement coming from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, who had come to this earth, took upon himself the form of a man, and he's praying to the Father in heaven, and he's saying, Father, I... (laughs) Basically, I'm just putting in my own words... I'm not looking forward to this cross. And Jesus knew what the cross was all about. It wasn't just the physical pain of hanging there and dying of suffocation and bleeding on a cross. But it was carrying the weight 
of the sin of mankind. That's something he'd never done before. He had never borne any sin. And now he's carrying the sins of all humanity on him. Paying the debt for us. That is amazing. Jesus loved us so much that he took all of my sin and he paid for it in full on the cross. That's why we read in 1 John 4, 10, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That word propitiation means to pay completely for all of my sins. Every lie, every dirty thought, every unkind word, every evil thing that we've done, and every evil thing well, we will do. He paid for them in full on the cross. And then was able to turn to us and say, I, I offer them to you as a free gift if you will receive me. And you know, many times people say, not interested, leave me alone, I don't want anything but God. God has to offer. And they're turning down the very best gift that they could ever have. You'll never be offered a more precious, priceless gift than God's forgiveness and eternal life. And he offers it to you, not through religion, not through baptism, not through communion, not through being good, not through going to church, not through reading your Bible, but through simple faith in Jesus Christ. You know, if we'll just come to the place where we just get on our knees before God and say, God, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But I believe that you died for me, and I want you to wash me clean and rescue me from hell. Forgive me and make me your child. Jesus said, if you will do that, he will do it. And he will do it. He'll change your life if you'll do that. He offers it to all a free gift. But Jesus cried out that night in the garden of, of Gethsemane, Father, the cross terrifies me, but not my will, but thine be done. And he went anyway. He died on the cross and paid for my sin. Thank God for it. As you pray, I mentioned a moment ago, I'd share some qualifications we need to remember. There's several, more than these six that I'm going to give you, but these are six basic ones that are helpful for us to remember. Number one, we need to pray according to God's will. We need to pray according to God's will. What is God's will? What does God want? First John chapter 5 and verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petitions that we desire of him. He said, I want you to ask according to my will. And if you know what God wants and you pray for what God wants, then God says, I will give it to you. Another qualification actually was the first one on my list and I skipped over it. And that is that unconfessed sin hinders prayer. Unconfessed sin hinders prayer. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you or I have something in our hearts that we have not confessed to God, God says, I'm not going to listen to you. 
You can pray and pray and pray all you want, but if, if God says, wait a minute, what about that sin you won't talk about? Won't, you won't get that right. Oh, I don't want to talk about that right now. God says, all right, I'm not listening. I'm not going to talk to you. And you know, really, when you put it down at the bare roots, a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've got a lot of unconfessed sin. They've never dealt with their sin and trusted Christ to forgive them of their sin. So an unbeliever really can't pray. Oh, they may mumble some words, and it's not like God can't hear them mumble the words. But God said, you're not talking to me. You can't talk to me until you know me. You can't talk to me until you got things right with me. So if there's something between you and God right now, the best thing you can do is make sure you get it right with God so that you can pray. We need to have an open communication with God. That was actually number one. Number two was this one on uh, praying in the will of God. Number three, we need to understand that believing is the key to receiving. Believing is the key to receiving. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Believe that you receive them, you shall have them. What is he saying? He's, it's linked in, tied in with knowing that this is God's will. If I know it's God's will, then I can believe, yes, God will do that. It isn't just a matter of believing that God can do it. I mean, yes, that's certainly part of it. If we say, well, I don't believe God can do this, but I'm going to ask him to anyway. Well, that's not believing. But it's actually saying, I know this is what God wants, and I believe God will do this because this is what God wants. You know, there are a lot of times in prayer, a lot of times in prayer we can pray, but we don't know what God's mind is. You know, when people come to me and say, would you pray for my sick child? I'm happy to pray for him, but I have to leave it in God's hand. I don't know God's will. Does God want to heal? Does God want to help? I don't know. I mean, is God compassionate? Yes, I do know that. Does God care? Yes, God cares. Is God able? Yes, God's able. But is it God's will? I don't know. I don't know. But we can pray. Nothing wrong with praying and saying, Thy will be done. That's the right thing to do. But we need to pray right and, and to be able to understand these things, to be able to see that we, we're wrong in accusing God of that answer in a prayer. Number four, we must be willing to accept no for an answer. Now, that's not our, our favorite choice. Obviously, when we pray, we'd like a positive answer, not a no or a wait. We'd rather have a positive answer. Why pray if you're not going to seek a positive answer? That's what we desire. But we've got to be willing to take a no. Now, a good example of this is in the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number 9. The Apostle Paul had asked the Lord three times to take away what he called a thorn in the flesh. And there's all kinds of debates over what this thorn in the flesh was, whether it was, some people say it was a demonic force, some people say it was a, a, a pain, some people say it was his eyes. Nobody really knows. It doesn't really matter. All we do know is this. It was something very unpleasant that Paul didn't like. And he wanted to get rid of it. We've all had those kind of things. All right, Lord, I got this pain. I got this problem. I got this issue. And I don't know what to do about it, but I want to get rid of it. It was a thorn in the flesh. And he asked God about this, and here's God's response. God said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God said, My grace is sufficient, my strength 
is made perfect in your weakness. Now, just think about what he said there. God said, my grace, my, my ability to help you, my provision to help you is sufficient. I will help you through this problem. My grace is sufficient. And he says, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. What does that mean? God's saying, when you are weak, I am strong. When you think you're strong, I don't have anything to do. I can't do anything. I'm weak. God says, when you depend on me, I will be strong. And I can help you get over the problem, or I can help you through the problem. But my grace is sufficient. And how did Paul respond? Did Paul say, well, that's not fair, God. I'm out here serving you, preaching the gospel, and trying to start churches, and and I've got this thorn in the flesh, and it's really hindering my work, and it's just not fair, God. I I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. No, that's not how he responded. You finish the verse, and Paul says, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amazing man. He said, God, if that's the way it is, then I'll gladly take this thorn in the flesh if I can have your power to minister. You give me your grace. You give me your power. I'll keep on suffering with the thorn in the flesh. I just want to serve you. That's a good answer from Paul. But God gave him a no. Paul says, please take it away. And God says, no. Paul said, okay, I accept it. I want your power. Give me your grace. And that's not an easy thing when we're really needing and wanting an answer, but that's the right way to respond. Number five, if we do not ask, we will not get. That's pretty obvious, but James chapter 4 and verse number 2 says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes the bottom line is we didn't get it because we didn't ask for it. Or sometimes we don't even ask specifically. You know, as we pray, we need to pray specifically about our problems. I mean, you say, well, God doesn't care whether my, i got a pain in my big toe on my right foot. Yes, he does. Be specific. Tell God exactly what the problem is. It doesn't matter what it is. Whatever the issue is, if it's giving you grief, be specific to God. Talk to him about it. Share it with God. Tell him your problems. Some people have this idea that you only talk to God about the really big things and the little things, don't worry about it. Or some people that probably aren't even believers, but they, the only time they ever talk to God is when some disaster happens. I better go talk to God about this. A disaster happened. They haven't talked to God for a long, long time, so they got dust off their prayer time, and you know they can start ask God. That's not what God's after. He says, oh, you don't have because you don't ask. We need to ask. Number six, we must pray persistently. Luke chapter 18, verse number one, Jesus had a parable and he said, he speak a parable unto them to this end, the men ought always to pray and not to faint. Where faint doesn't mean to pass out. It means to get weary, get tired. Say, oh, I quit. It's too much work. He said, I want you to keep praying. You know, sometimes I wonder. I don't fully understand this, but... I think that part of it is that God is just seeing how much we really want him to answer our prayers. Even as a parent, you know, the child says, you know, can I have something to eat? Well, we just ate ten minutes ago. Yeah, but I'm kind of hungry again. Well, yeah, we'll see. 
And he let it go, and you don't hear anything up from him for another couple hours. And then he says, oh, can I have something to eat? Well, it's been a couple hours. Now maybe he does want something to eat. But if there's a persistence about it, I really need something. I, need, I have this need. Then we are more apt to say, well, I guess that's a genuine need. Now, it isn't that God doesn't understand. He's not looking up in heaven and saying, oh, you know, I've got to figure out this guy, whether well, this is really what he needs. But he says, I want you to be persistent. For whatever the case may be, God says, I want you to keep on praying. Keep on asking. Keep on being faithful. And as you keep on doing what God wants you to do, God will meet your needs. So he says, I want you to be persistent. We need to be persistent as we pray. So as we look at these things, I gave you six of them. Let me just read through them again quickly. Six qualifications. Number one, unconfessed sin hinders prayer. Number two, we must pray according to God's will. Number three, believing is the key to receiving. Number four, we must be willing to accept no for an answer. Number five, if we will not ask, we will not get. And number six, we must pray persistently. And as we think about these things, it will help us in our prayer life. And I challenge you and encourage you to let God have his will and way in your life. Esther was, God provided for Esther, answered prayer for Esther and, and for Mordecai and for the Jews, and God met the needs, God protected them, God helped them, and God can do the same for each of us if we will do his mind in these things. Discovering God's mind before we pray and then praying in his will is the key to receiving the things that we request. Sometimes I think we need to spend more time praying, God, what do you want me to do? What is your will? How do you want me to respond to this? And then once God gives us peace about that, then we can pray and say, God, you give me peace. That This is what you want me to do. Now show me how to do it. I don't know how to do it. That's probably a more biblical way of praying. And I think that it would be help to each of us if we would seek to do that. God does answer prayer today, but we need to pray right. As you look at these qualifications for prayer, if you've noticed some things there that you haven't been doing like you ought to, I urge you to make the adjustments. God wants to hear from you. God wants to help you. If you're here today and have never yet trusted Jesus as your Savior, you can't even pray yet. Because there's sin between you and God. God said, I want to wash you clean first, and then then we can talk about it. The first prayer that God hears is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the one he wants to hear from you. And if you come to God and say, God, that's me. I am a sinner. I'm guilty. I'm so glad that I've put my faith and trust in Christ. And most of you who have done that, you could say the same. Say, I'm glad that I did that. I don't regret that. That's a blessing. I'm sure glad I did that. I don't want to miss heaven. And I'm glad for the peace that God gives. You know, the devil wants us to think that, oh, if I did that, I'll lose my friends and I'll be weird and I'll become religious. And, oh, boy, that'll be bad. And the devil has all these crazy ideas. But he's a liar. He's lying. He wants you to go to hell. He doesn't want you to go to heaven. We need to trust God, put our faith in him.